Hello and welcome to Around the ACL. I'm your host, Michelle Thompson. Of course, I'm joined by Trey Ryder and Trey Ryder and Anthony Ione. And today we're going to chat about what we learned in the first three opens. Then we're going to go into Morton's Corner. We're going to discuss teams a bit deeper since we're coming up on that draft. And then we're going to move into our high or low segment. Lastly, we're going to cover the news around the league, watch some really cool viral videos, and then end with our holy hot takes as usual. So Trey, we've had three open so far. What's impressing you the most? Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, I felt like we just started and we're already kind of like at a point of reflection and an evaluation of, of how some, some players have done and, and teams have done. We got to see a really cool open in Cincinnati that had some top talent. Um, I, I have a list uh, and I, I'm, I get to go first. So I get to ruin Anthony's list probably. So that's just how, how it works. I'll let him go first next. Um, but you know, for me, I have a list of five people that I think really have impressed me. Um, for a variety of different reasons, I'll start. Most of these are kind of obvious. Uh, Noah Almanza, obviously, I would say probably the most impressive rookie when you come into the most stacked open that we've talked about. You coming in win uh, when nobody else pegged you to do that. Got to be on my impressive list. Matt Guy, um, statistically the most impressive person across the country right now. Uh, just unbelievable. Jordan Power for me, not because of an individual performance, but how many times do we see a player come into a, a sophomore season and go through what we call that sophomore slump, right? Happens in sports all the time. They come in as this high profile rookie. And for Jordan Power, this is going to be his season to see if he can really push forward and remain a top player. So I love, love seeing Jordan there. Cheyenne Renner, um, I think, has, again, same kind of idea. Now, she wasn't a sophomore, but for her, she had her huge breakout at the World Championships. So for her to have that staying power um, and win a bracket in uh, advanced singles at the most recent Open shows me she's ready to go. We're going to talk about the Battle of Queens tournament later. She won that. So, you know, really excited to see Cheyenne Renner play to the highest level. Uh, two left, uh, Jimmy Humans for me. He was someone that I was looking to take a really big next step this coming year. And man, was he good at that Cincinnati Open. Arguably the most impressive player to me on the doubles day, which would have been day two. Um, so obviously he didn't put it all together for the singles day, but for the doubles day, he was locked in and and, and just flat out impressive. And the last for me is, uh, is Jeremy Frazier. Jeremy Frazier is another rookie that I personally did not have high expectations for. I... I'd like to think that's because just uh, uh, it's more ignorance. I just didn't know what I was going to get from Jeremy Frazier. But either way, he's been very solid in singles, especially at the first couple opens that he's attended. He's shown that he has and deserves to be in that conversation for kind of that rookie of the year by the end of the year. So those, those are my most impressive players so far that I've seen this season and ones that I think are shaping up to have big years. Did you ruin your list, Anthony? I mean, we, we all knew we were going to mention Matt Guy. Uh, we don't. We kind of beat that whole argument to death. Um, but just to mention, first and third in singles and first and third in doubles for two of his open appearances. And then, of course, he's got those back-to-back -back singles with 11-plus PPRs through an entire tournament. So unprecedented numbers. Um, but not to skim over him quickly because we've talked about him a lot. We all know that he's super impressive. But Ryan Windsor for me. 
the most consistent bagger right now in the 21-22 season. So in his first, well, his only two open appearances, he's got top five turnouts in six events. Now, if I'm doing the math correctly, you got a, a singles, a doubles, and a blind draw. I don't know if there's anything else in there for him. So basically every event he's played, he's been in the top five. And then if we go on to some of the bigger events, like the KCC showdown that had a ton of elite baggers in it, he gets first in singles going through, going through a Trey Birchfield, 23, 10 gets Matt guy twice in that tournament, 22, nine and 21, 19, all with a sub 10 PPR in the same tournament. He takes down doubles as well, going through a Matt guy and a Brett guy and a Birchfield and a Powers. So max consistency for me for uh, for Ryan Windsor. So highly impressive there. And then just kind of overall, and Trey, I think that's kind of the same thing you were saying. Super impressed with the entire amateur and rookie pro field coming out this season, just showing how deep the talent is. I mean, if you look at open number one, Mark Richards and Avery uh, Dean taking third overall in singles in the, in the women's division in singles. We have first and second taken by rookie pros with Luna and Coy. Um, open number two, Brennan Ballard and Nate Voyer coming out, taking third in singles. We saw Peyton Morris and Kobe Costanza uh, taking down doubles with a lot of elite baggers in the field. You had Fuentes Cox, Cobb Smith, Modlin Morton. And then just this past open number three, we talked a lot about Noah Almanza in a stacked field with the amateur Bobby Bobilia coming up right, right behind him. So number one and number two in that field had nine of my top 10 pros in it. And we have these two guys winning it there. So really impressive. And then last, Maddie McBride. We didn't get to talk to her a lot about that last time. She takes third overall in women's singles, a 14-year-old uh, young teen with mad talent, really impressed with her. So I don't know, Misha, I'm really impressed with the overall depth of talent in the rookie class. And I feel like it just continues into the upper ranks of the amateur uh, field as well. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more with your Ryan Windsor consistency call. I mean, that that is ob obvious. What about not so impressed with what do you think um yeah not so impressed i mean the season's still early so it's really hard and anyone who's played this game at a competitive level knows that you have these short-lived ups and downs i mean it's cornhole you could be on your game one day and not the next and I, you know trey talks a lot about ceilings and floors and i think that's what separates the difference between elite baggers um and just really good baggers but birchfield rawls for me a really rough first showing uh, at that open number three, taking 17th in their bracket. This is a top 10 team taking 17th. We talked about both baggers having a negative DPR. Um, Rawls with a minus 0.71. That's really high. I mean, you're talking about giving up almost a point every round. Uh, he barely shot. I think it was mid eights in the PPR. And then Trey also with a negative in that one. So I don't know if we'd call a disappointment or if it's just, you know, um, these guys are going to show up. It's going to come. It's just not what we expected from them. Bernicette Gustafson, um, they took 17th in that open number one. We're talking about a top seven team last year. Um, no doubt they're not happy with that finish. These guys are gamers. I full ex fully expect them to come back. But kind of right out of the gate, those two stood out for me. And I almost wonder if having that level of expectation, like Birchfield and Rawls, messes with you in any way like everybody expected them to be so good and i don't know psychologically what that could do who knows but well, well trey said it. don't panic everyone's gonna panic <laughs> yeah, yeah no exactly. take a minute breathe yep. <laughs> i don't think anything anybody actually thinks it means much but it's just interesting to look at from all different perspectives did you have kind of the same thoughts trey or adding something different 
Yeah, yeah. Same, right. Same idea, right? There's no need to hit a panic button, but it's like, hmm, I was kind of expecting something, you know? Um, for me, I, I got three, and I'm – I realize that I'm, I'm, I guess I'm attacking all the youngsters. So apparently that's the way I'm going about it. But for me, one of them is Tice Cobb. So I, I've decided that I gave all my heat to Tyler Cobb. And so now I'm just switching Cobb brothers. So I guess next it'll be Tubby. So Tubby, just just ready for me to get ready for me to rag what, on you. At what some did point, this like family do to you? I know. Um, but Tice Cobb, you know, wins an open last year in singles. And then follows it up with a second place at another open in singles where he loses to Tanner Halbert in a barn burner of a match, right? I just, you know, he's played in a couple opens, but we haven't seen him do well at all. Like, nowhere close to payouts, podium, anything, which is shocking to me. Absolutely shocking. The next one, this one's this one's going to get me some heat. Ready? Uh, Bella Soprenin. Like, I... I I I wanted I was expecting after coming off of a world championship and how dominant she was, I was expecting her to you know rival and maybe my expectations were just a little too high and that's maybe on me. It's probably on me. Um, but what I've seen for so far in women's singles and even some of these doubles events and things of that nature, not nearly living up to the expectation, at least early in this season that, that I kind of expected. Now I hope she takes that and uses it as motivation. She plays that underdog underdog card a little bit stronger. Um, now the good news is she's playing with Cameron Belvin and women doubles at nationals. That's a great veteran veteran to lean on, right? Cameron's a great person that you can, you know, throw back, throw the bags down on the other end and women's doubles and, and succeed. So just interesting. And then again, I'm going to get more heat on this one right out of the gate with uh -oh. Mike Morton. Matthew Morton. Yeah. Okay? Matthew Morton is somebody I have been waiting and begging to be at that podium again. 2020, he was so good. And in 2021, he was just decent. And um, I thought at that first open when we saw him and Chris Day pair up, you know, I was like, man, this is, let's go. Like, this is, this is what I wanted. And, and then getting to see them and Ian, him and Ian Cripps, Again, in rounders, like I think in rounders, they did extremely well, but then didn't necessarily follow it up. So I don't know. No need for panic. Right. But these are people I'm just like, hey, let's let's I don't know. Let's let's see what let's see what we get as we move through the season. I like it. I mean, I think it is motivation. But once again, Bella, high expectations. Does that play into her mindset at all? Everyone expecting her to perform so well, because I don't think you're alone on that expectation, Trey. Are there any of the the people that you've seen in the first three opens that you're just sort of not really sure, like just big question marks? This is a weird one. Um, Trey Birchfield, and and everything's relative, right? So for me, it's is Trey Birchfield the best player in the world? That's my question mark. My question my question mark is not is Trey Birchfield a top ten player. My question mark is none of that. My question mark is, for the first time ever, because it's never been done before, do we have someone follow up their amazing season with a season of equal caliber? We've never seen it before. So that's just a question mark. Are we going to get that? Second, I only got three. Second, Alex Hicks, great in singles. We'll talk about him in the conference event coming up in a little bit. But for me, I, 
I'm a little bit underwhelmed with his, you know, uh, with the partnership with him and Kyle Hutley. They did win the conference event, but like, I just don't know if those two are going to be uh, this dynamic duo uh, out of the Midwest that, that everybody wants them to be. And then finally, Josh Holland, like Josh Holland, you know, I expected him to be, I think I had him like sixth or something on my top 10 list. Has he been a top 15 player so far this season? Absolutely. But has he been the kind of the flirting with the top five player that we've, we kind of expected? Definitely not. So I don't know. Is, does the bag selection make a key there? I, again, no, I'm definitely not disappointed. Just kind of like, where are they at? What are they, you know, is, is this just something to keep an eye on? Yeah. Interesting. Anthony, do you have similar question marks? Yeah, I got a big question mark. So if we go back to last year's qualifier, and these are these are amateurs earning their spot into the ACL Pro Division. We have Matt Guy going 8-0. Tony Smith, Brett Guy, Eric Davis all going 7-0. All turn in unbelievable rookie seasons, each of them winning a national level event. So if history repeats itself, there's a lot of expectations for the 8-0 baggers coming out of this year's qualifier. Two guys, right? We got Josh Holland and Corey Gilbert. Josh Holland, no surprise. I know nothing about Corey Gilbert. And I've yeah. watched a lot of California matches. Um, I've never seen a Corey Gilbert match. I know he's partnering up with Josh Thielen out of Cali, who fills the hole up. I've seen a lot of his matches, especially during COVID, repping bags down his hallway on some uh, some ghost matches. Um, but, Mish, I, I think that you're familiar with Gilbert's game. I mean, can I you know, shed some light, light on him skin. a little bit? <laughs> I know yeah. light skin well. Um, he's actually a really awesome person. Um, so when I've seen him throw, uh, I saw him at the state championships in Sacramento. And he obviously throws really well. He went 8-0. But also I think what's great about Corey is that he is a personality. Like he is fun to watch just personality wise. I'm I'm not. I was shocked that we haven't been seeing him higher up in the rankings. I will be shocked if that stays that way based on what I've seen him do. Um, in terms of as a person, one of the coolest people. In terms of a player, I hope he lives up to what happened in, in the qualifiers. I was gonna say I'm gonna put you on the spot and do the thing I'm not supposed to do ever, and that's well, Anthony just listed out all those people: Matt Guy, Tony Smith, Eric Davis, Brett Guy. Josh Holland is Corey Gilbert in that group. Oh no. <laughs> she, she doesn't want to answer. Um, I can't make the host answer. It comes with on. the job. So you got to put gonna, yourself out there. Yeah. So, so we are going to bring on Mike from Morton's corner and we're going okay. to uh, table, table that Trey. Um, yeah. Let's bring on Mike. Hey Mike, you should be mad at Trey too. Uh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't have any bone to pick with Trey about that. Um, I am happy to take the heat off you. It was good timing though. Oh. <laughs> but, but no, Trey, Trey, she is, she's pleading the fifth. She knows Corey, <laughs> she will not respond. So I got my answer. <laughs> yeah. No, um, what, what Trey said about Matthew was, you know, it's hard, it's hard to argue it. You know, he's, he's struggling to find the consistency. I will say for longer stretches, he is the Matthew of old for longer and longer periods. Um, early in Cincinnati, he was incredible. And then he just wasn't consistent long enough. And then it tails off and um, he's got to put together a whole tournament. So, um, yeah, no, I, 
I'm, I, it's like Trey crawled inside my brain, so I, I don't have any any bones. <laughs> all that. right, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, it's all it's all good here. All right, let, you have some cool stats to bring to us. I can't wait to get into it, Mike. I do. I've I've had a lot of fun and 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 a lot of <laughs> oh, fun that only someone like me can have. Pouring right. through statistics from the Cincinnati Open. So um, what I did is I picked 240 advanced singles matches. That's 30 matches from each of the eight singles, advanced singles brackets. And I poured into the stats for all 240 matches to determine. And I do this all for you guys, by the way. No, you <laughs> I did all for it. us, Mike. <laughs> Don't lie. So, so what I wanted to do was figure out if there's some magic numbers, you know, a, you know, a, a sort of race to a certain number, and then you can feel maybe, you know, like you've got a better chance to win once you, once you get to a certain point. Understanding you can never turn your back on someone, they can come back and win at any time. But at some point in a match, there statistically seems to be a number where you think you should be able to win once you get to that point. So... I looked up the percentage, three different numbers. I'm going to start with the, the, the most basic one. And Trey, Anthony, who wants to get put on the hot seat first? I'll take it. Trey. All right. First point of the game. How many times does the person who scores the first point of the game win? I'll say. I'm going to ask Anthony to go higher or lower. I'll say 68%. Ooh. I'm going to go lower. All right. The right answer is 70.4% of wow. the time. Oh, wow. I was close. You were wow. close. Okay. That you nailed crazy. that. When you said 68, I was like, wow, because I was a little shocked at that 70%. Um, you know, again, that's a pretty good sample size 240 matches. I mean, there's a lot of matches in there with, you know, the Trey Birchfields of the world and, and the Matt guys and, and all those great guys that perform well in Cincinnati. But there's a lot of just, you know, advanced players in that, too. And over the course of all 240 matches, 70 percent of the time, if you score the first point, you win the game. So I was wow. a little surprised. Does, does this yeah, look I mean, like, you know, what's going to be interesting like is if you build on top of that. Right. So you're saying if you score 70 percent of the time. How you back that up a little bit? How important does it make winning that coin toss then? Yeah, no, I, that's exactly. Great point, Trey. Great point. Wow. Now, again, there's a certain percentage of those games that the person that scored first was probably going to win going away anyway, right? Right, right. winning 21 to three, the first points of the match really didn't matter. Um, but Again, you d dive into those statistics, and I would bet you that there's a good percentage of those games where that does matter. You score the first points, you take control, um, you hold first throw for a while, and you get some momentum. So Yeah, it's yeah, going to be so great to be able to pull that same data for the pro division this season when yeah. everybody is of, quote, equal caliber. Right. Yeah, and then I was going to say, you know, like when you watch poker and they have, like, the winning percentage – you know, when they have yeah. the cards in their hand, it would be so cool to have that kind of stat. Like, oh, they yeah. just scored the first point. Their winning percentage is this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That 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 would be amazing to have. And hopefully one day we can get there. So, yeah. all right. So we've established the importance of scoring the first point. Now, the next the next check mark that I wanted to check in on was 
halfway through the match. Okay. If you're leading the match, if you're the first one to score 11 points, what do you think the chances are that you're going to win? And since Trey went first last time, Anthony, you're on the hot seat this time. What, what do you think the chances are you're going to win if you score the 11th point first? Yeah, I mean, mathematically, it has to be higher because if you score first and you still got to get to 21, that's a shorter gap than scoring to 11. You, you only need 10 more to win. I got to go higher than that. 73%? I'll say right. it's got to be higher. All right. So it's like 78. All right. Mish, I'm going to give you a chance to weigh in, Mish. What, what do you think? Oh, I, I think it's higher as well. Um, you know what? I'm going to say it's somewhere in between Anthony and Trey, between 73, did you say, and 78. All right. Drum roll. This was incredible. 73.8%. Oh, wow. my God. Wow. If you are leaving. You should have just said higher. Yeah. If you're leading when you get to the 11th point, you win 83.8% of the time. Just wow. It, so that mean, I mean, yeah, that means you yeah, do whatever you can to win the first half of the game. Yeah. yeah. Get out. I think it, I think, you know, now you're, you're trying, or I'm trying to read some psychology into the situation, but you know, I think maybe it becomes a mental game at that point. You've been leading right. you get there first. The other guy's a little, you know, demotivated, if you will. And you can kind of put it on cruise control and head to the finish line. Now there are some players when we've interviewed them that have told us that when they're down, they're actually they actually play better. They like play better in that space of I can't miss. Whereas, and so you're looking at the psychology. Someone like me, I play worse because I'm like yeah. I can't miss. Like <laughs> that's pressure. Yeah. Um, so it's really yeah. just the personality of how they handle yeah. being down. And, and I do. I've seen players do that. You know, their their backs against the wall and they absolutely throw better, but you throw in there, let's say they fell behind 12 to four and now they're just throwing incredible. Well, the opponent only has to throw really good to beat their mm -hmm. incredible finish. You know, they've right. dug a deep hole. So that makes sense. All right. So now here's the last one. And this is, this was the one I really wanted to get to um, 17 points. The percentage of time you win when you hit that magic 17. All right. I'll say, I'll say, no, put Michelle on the spot. She's on the spot now. <laughs> yes, good idea. That's a great idea. Let's go, Michelle. Oh, what, what do you think well, it's got to be higher. So You give us a number and Anthony and Trey are going to go higher or lower. God, how much higher? Okay. Um, I'm going to say 87. What'd you say that one was? 83.8. If you get to it. Okay. All okay, right. So I'm going to say 87. I'm going right. to go higher. I'm going to guess 94. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking much higher, too. I like 94. Okay. Right there. All right. It's 94. No, but y'all are very <laughs> close on this one. 92 and a half. You hit 17 oh, wow. first. You hit 17 first. You win 92 and a half percentage of the, percent of the time, statistically speaking. Of course, if your name is Trey Birchfield or Matt Guy or, you know, Jordan Power, Jay Rubin, those guys, it's probably higher than 92 percent. Um, everything's relative. But yeah. if you just look at the mass sample size, it just blew the, the numbers blew my mind. I just didn't think it would be that big because a lot of those 17s, you hit 17 first and you were breaking a 15-15 tie. 
So, you know, you're theoretically in a, in a tight match, you know, to, to get right, to Mike. that three and a half percent is crazy. I got a problem with these numbers. All right, I'm listening. Okay. So <laughs> the Nationals, that burn us at one, right? It's 9 a.m. I get my first call. I get my text. You're playing Bernaset match one, 9 a.m. This is the one that he won. He was just fire through the whole thing. And actually, Trey threw me a little kudos and said, eh, watch out for Anthony. He might give Bernaset a little trouble. First match. So I force, I score first. So I'm at 70%. Yeah. I go up 10-0. So I don't know. I'm pretty close to 11, but I'm at zero. So I'm thinking I'm in that 80-something percentile. He yeah. came back and whoop, whoop my butt. <laughs> Bad. I did not win that one, Mike. All right. All right. Let's, let's do it this way. I'll put it this way, though. I'll play devil's advocate for that. You remember that one. How many do you remember, Anthony? And I'm not insulting your playing ability, but how many times do you remember getting absolutely walloped by Matt Guy or something like that when it's, you know, he went up 10-7, and you went up 10-0, then you scored a three, then he went up 17-3, to three, then you scored four more, 17-7, to seven, and then he beat you. You probably don't remember that because it's memorable. My right. gut says is it's in the front of your mind against Bernasek because <laughs> I had a 10-point lead. I was going to beat it. You went, like, you went you against <laughs> it went against the odds. So you're actually agreeing with Mike. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, as I was pouring through these stats, again, 240 matches, and I went down to the frame-by-frame frame stats for each and every one. And I want to say off the top of my head, I didn't count these, but maybe four times, three, four times, out of those 240 matches, somebody trailed the entire match and then hit the 21st point. So, I mean, the weird, weird maybe three happen. or four, that, maybe three or four. And so, 240%. So, 1% would be 2.4. Yeah. So, if you had three matches, you're just over 1% of the time that you're trailing the entire time. So, if yeah. that's the case, if that's the case, you are one out of 100. That's Absolutely. Maybe two out of 100. That's great. Uh, the the match, yeah. yeah, the match is never over until someone hits 21. Great. Right. But the odds may not be in your favor. <laughs> yeah. <get> there. <laughs> so there is that. That's really good. It's always about stats. No, and I, I love it. And like I said, that I love to watch poker on TV and I love to watch those numbers change as they get different cards. I think it would be really cool to be able to see that in cornhole and um, probably not so cool for the person down seeing that stat. <laughs> yeah. If they can hear it or see it somewhere. Opponent, but yeah, when your opponent hits 17, you now have a, a seven and a half percent chance to win. <laughs> you <laughs> just messed with everybody's heads. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Well, this, this was awesome. Thanks so much for doing all that work to get us those stats. No problem. Had a lot of fun doing it. We'll try to bring you all some, some different stats here in the future. Sounds great. All right. Yeah, well, good we'll one. say goodbye good to you Mike. for now and look forward thanks, to more Mike. stats in the future. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Yeah. Well, I love the nerdy stuff, um, and I'm glad it's not me <laughs> doing the numbers. So thank you, Mike. All right. We're going to get into our teams. Um, there, this is a new thing that we're doing. The draft is happening very soon on December 10th and 11th at the ACL headquarters. This is going to be um, super fun because these players are going to be teaming up. There's the whole draft component. I'm super excited about it. Uh, Trey, why don't you talk a little bit about you know what people can look for in this teams, and then we can get into some of the drafting strategy. Yeah. So again, you know, we, we talked about it last time, but just to go over it again, like the top 16 players that are captains, they are going to be drafting a team 
They're going to be drafting 15 other players, so a total of 16 players per team. And then over the course of the season, every team is going to go head-to-head against every other team in the division one time. Okay, so you play every other team once, and then at the end of the season, based on what your record is, you'll be seeded into a a bracket. So when you go head-to-head, when you play against another team, that essentially means I'm going to put up seven doubles teams, so 14 players total, against your seven doubles teams. And if I win four out of those seven matches, I win the head-to-head matchup. So again, you'll do that 15 times throughout the year and and ultimately see who gets uh, 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 you know the best record at the end of the year. So our 16 captains now, you know, we're kind of looking through those. I'll go through those captains real quick. Um, that's uh, uh, so the number one overall pick goes to the 16th ranked player uh, as a captain. So the number one overall pick, Ryan Smith. He's going to get to be able to pick anybody that he wants um, among the entire division, uh, except for people under the age of 16 or people that are already a captain. So Ryan Smith, Adam Hisner, Cheyenne Renner, James Washington, Jimmy McGuffin, Mike Ferreira, Eric Anderson, Stephen Burnisette, Eddie Grindersleeve, Eric Davis, Devin Harbaugh, Brett Guy, Cody Henderson, Damon Dennis, Ryan Windsor, and then Trey Birchfield is the last pick of the first round. And it's a snake draft, so he gets two picks in a row to round out his team. So really just excited to see kind of what this drafting strategy is. I got to put my best team of 16 or uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on the field at a time. And so just, uh, I don't know, Anthony, you got, you got any ideas for, for drafting strategy on this? I mean, are you going to be picking doubles partners? Is Matt Guy the obvious first overall pick? I mean, so many different things to break down. Yeah, I mean, I think your first big pick, you have to go for the best player. And there's a few gems in there, you know. Um, and again, we're talking about you take your captains out. So you got a lot of good players already out of the picks who's left. You've got some gems in Matt Guy, who ended up 23rd. So he's he's a pick. I think you got to go. You obviously got to go Matt Guy. You got, he's uh, the pick. <laughs> <laughs> you got Jamie Graham out there. Uh, you got Jay Rubin, who um, is now a pick. Um, because he won't be a captain. So I think right out of the gate, you got to go with who's the best possible player I can get on my team. And then it can turn into interesting stuff. I mean, you've got teams sponsored by the same companies and throwing the same bags, you know, maybe players into like relationships and chemistry. Like, hey, my partner is over there. He's a pick right now and he's available. Well, I grab him. You know, maybe there's a high IQ pro buried deep into the ranks that maybe won't contribute to the actual wins but he might be able to contribute somehow to the strategy part of the game. And when you get into round 13, 14, maybe you grab that person just because I got a really good IQ that could help the captain. If you got the first overall pick, who are you taking? Matt guy. Matt guy. (laughs) You think Matt guy. Yeah. I think Matt guy, Tanner Halbert, Jay Rubin, Zedra Herrera is another captain that or was supposed to be a captain, but turned down the opportunity to be a captain. He's another elite level player that you'd think has just got to be kind of a shoe in, right? A great doubles player too. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's certainly going to be interesting. I, I'm just excited for something new and fun. And and like I was saying to uh, our, la- I was talking to Jeff McCarriger and I was saying, is there any way we could use this team's thing, but make it more like, you know, like NFL has like location-based teams so that it's easy to become a fan of a group easily. So I was like, maybe there's a way to sort of work that in at some point in the future. Cause I think that would be fun too. 
Well, be, well, I, I will say each team is going to get branded with a team name. And so I have these team names here. You got names? For the oh, first like time segue? ever. This is the <laughs> first time ever anybody is going to hear these team names, okay? I've oh not God, even told you two. So everybody holding out on us. Holding out on us. We don't, yeah, we don't know 16 them. 16 team names. You ready for these? Let's go. All wait, right. wait, first of all, who, who did the team captains name them themselves then? They came up with the team name? No, we got a lot of different kind of suggestions from a lot of different sources and we picked the 16 that we liked best. So now the okay, team, now the first overall pick uh, will get the last choice of a team name. So for example, okay, Trey so Birchfield is the last pick, but he was the number one ranked player. So he gets to pick from this slew of 16 first. Okay. Got it. But here are your team names, the aviators, the timber, the freeze, the Gushers, oh the Skunks, the Sliders, the Carpet Burns, the Sharpshooters, the Maze, the Bombers, the Bullies, the Lumberjacks, the Shuckers, Lumberjacks. the Rollers, <laughs> the Cutters, and the Woodchucks. What if Cheyenne Renner gets like stuck with like lumberjack or something? I just can imagine. Uh, so, what team are you guys going to be on, Anthony? You got you got to you got to buy merch for the for one team right now. Who are you buying? Uh, merch. I like the bullies versus merch. Yeah, the bullies. The bullies. Yeah. What about you, Michelle? Yeah, the bullies was good. Um, and I would probably go like if I was a roller, I would want to be the rollers because that would be fun. But you know, yeah. I don't really I would not I go even... gushers. No, what? Like, 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 That's like at the, the bottom. Candy, the fruit snack candy thing? Like gushers? No, like, you never heard gushers? Thing. That's the first oh, thing just I the thought candy. of. No, exactly. gushers. Gushers is a name for a four bagger in like the Great Lakes Conference region. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you never. Oh, my gosh. You're going to get so so many people are going to educate you on the term gushers wow. after this after this episode. Oh, man. Yeah, gushers is a name for a four bagger. The West hey, Coast. We were going to do the stovepipes too until uh, Brandon Jones and Duncan Clemmer branded that and took branded and the grabbed the uh, IP on it. So I was like, well, can't do that anymore. There's all another right, name well, for a four bagger out of the Michigan area. Do you know what it is, Trey? They they all say it. And I heard it a lot at the USAC event. And I'm like, what is this uh -huh. thing? And I can't remember what the name was. Oh, you're not going to tell us? Ah, I can't remember. Us, leave us on the edge I was like, how do I not know this? But they call in Michigan area, they call four bagger something completely different. And the whole team called it that. I'll come back to you. Apparently, I'll come back to you. Apparently, we don't have anything cool like that over here on the West Coast, at least not to my knowledge. Don't attack me if we do. All right. Are we ready to go into high or low? We are ready. Let's do it. All right. We're going. I'm going to read a player's current PPR, and then uh, you guys are going to go high or low. So the first one being Frank Maudlin at 9.86. Higher or lower? Uh, I'm going to go lower. I think he's been white hot recently and 9.86 is pretty, pretty high, um, for a season long average. I think he probably finishes in the nine, six to nine, seven range. So I'm going to go lower for Frank. Um, I'll, I'll kind of scale this for everybody. So we're talking about combined PPRs. We're talking about doubles and singles and just throw some good, good information at our viewers here. So to help scale this. In the singles division last year, the top 10 players averaged at 9.9. .9. You take that top 10. And now that's in national level play. You've got pressure, lights, cameras, crowds, 9.9 right. nine for the top 10. If you extend that to the top 40, 
that drops to 9.6. It kind of shows you how small that margin is. If you drop your PPR a third of a point, you go from a top 10 group to a top 40 group. Now, if you look at doubles, it drops about a tenth of a point. Uh, doubles is actually a little bit lower. So fun fact for you, 57% of the field performed better in singles than doubles last year. So for Frank Modlin, considering what I just mentioned, um, he's making up a lot. He was a 9.3 last year. So to get up to a 9.8, a half of a point is a lot. That would take him from a 26 rank to a top eight rank. That's a huge run jump. I'm going to take the under or the lower. Yep, I would agree with that. All right, Matt Guy at 10.69. Yeah, and, and, and I'll also reiterate, this is their current PPR through the first two months of the season. So this right, isn't not, like just yeah. pulled out of thin air. This is what they're doing right now. So 10.69, yes. there is no way Matt Guy <laughs> throws above a 10.69 for the national season. But if he there does, I'm here to see no it. No way. I'm taking the – I'll take low. Yeah, same here. He was a 10-0-4 in doubles and singles, clearly trending up, throwing insane numbers. Plus, he's only seeing open play. We haven't gotten to national play yet. I'll take the lower. Makes sense. Cheyenne Renner at 9.84. I, you know what? I, I, this is hard. This one I think is right on the money. Yeah. I think it might be. And I was going to say lower until you said that other stat, which is top 10 players are at the 9.9. So even if she goes up a couple percentage points to 9.87, 9.89, she's she's right on that fringe of that top 10 player. So I will go over, actually. I will go high just because of that stat. You changed my mind, Anthony. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that 9.84 is right there. She was a 9.69 combined last season. I think we're going to see PPRs trend higher across the board this year. So, so considering that, uh, I feel like it's going to be there. I feel like she's going to improve from a nine, uh, nine, six, nine, but I'm going to be right under that nine, eight, four, I think. Oh, he's going under. All right. Yeah. Just under. off his own stat even. <laughs> All right. Jordan power at 9.81. Yeah. I was surprised it was that low. Um, I'm going to go high and it's not, you know, I, I I'm going high. It's going to be yep. higher. Hands down higher. He was a 9.84 last year. He's he's trending up, although we haven't seen it quite yet. I mean, he's had a couple of good appearances. He'll tell you he can do better. He's gonna he'll beat a 9.81. Yep. And last one, Tanner Halbert, 9.62. This one was shocking. Shocking to me how low this was. So I got I gotta go high because I just I, I expect I expect it to be a lot higher, I guess. 14 pros beat the 962 last season. I think Tanner is a top 14 in PPR higher. I'm going to go higher. All right, cool. Let's see what happens then. Next, we're going to go into the news around the league. We had two sort of really big events that happened over the weekend, the Midwest Conference event number one and the Battle of the Queens. I'll just go through some of the winners here with us. We have four advanced doubles at the Midwest Conference. We had uh, Kyle Hutley and Alex Hicks. We had Johnny Cox and John Fuentes. We had Zachary Engelkin and Christian Brown. For singles, we had Alex Hicks, Christian Brown, Ryan Widenfield, and Ethan Walker. And then for Battle of the Queens, in first for singles, Cheyenne Renner, second, Sam Finley, and third, Rosie Streaker, fourth, Lori Duell. And level one doubles, we had Cheyenne Renner and Sarah Cassidy take it. At first, uh, we had Moppin and Hunter in second. We had Ashley and Autumn in third, and then Deborah and Sherry in fourth. And that was uh, a fun event to watch. 
and uh, we had a lot of other stuff going on. We don't have time to jump into all of that really today, but did you guys have any thoughts about the Midwest conference or the battle of the Queens? Uh, yeah. So for, uh, for on the Midwest conference event, awesome to see Alex Hicks kind of sweet both. Um, he was, he was impressive. Um, you know, really did, did a, a strong performance there. So love seeing that out of just amazing to me. We, we see a, 12 year old just dominating an entire conference as far as singles and doubles. And then on the battle of the queen side, really is it felt at least in singles kind of chalk um, love seeing what I saw out of Lori Duell though. I think Lori Duell has that potential to has a potential to steal like a spot from Rosie streaker or steal a spot from Sam Finley or steal a spot from, you know, one of these other top female baggers that we just know is going to be a top five player. Lori Duell may sneak in there. She is playing phenomenal, phenomenally well right now. That was a long game. Her and Rosie, that was a long game. <laughs> they kept going. <laughs> I don't know how many washes they got because I'm just watching, <laughs> watching the score, but it hardly changed for long periods of time. What do you think, Anthony? I feel like every week we mention Alex Hicks. We just keep saying that name over and over again. We're talking about a 12-year-old. We said, or I said, I kind of put myself out there, we'll see a 12-year-old on a linear broad broadcast. Really excited to see what Hicks is doing. I'm really nervous, though, about his partnership with Hutley. I know Hutley's grinding. I see him working all the time. But for a player of Alex's caliber, can Hutley keep up with that and make him a doubles team uh, that's that's to be reckoned with in the, in the doubles division as well? Right. Yeah, fair enough. We we'll just have to see. All right, we have viral videos this week, and these are all insane. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy. We're going to start with, with the one that you chose, Anthony. Let's dive into yours because this is just crazy. All, all right, right so, what do we got, uh, Anthony? Yeah, so Bernice is going to throw up a block, and I'll kind of walk through this. We've got a little time, but uh, left side of your screen, Ryan Smith and Stephen Bernicet. And then we got Noah Wooten and Eric Davis on the right side. So what we got going on here is they've got last bag in their hand. Uh, each each player has last bag. Eric Davis is going to throw an airmail here. He had the two yellows on the black side, misses it. The board is showing 5-3. The left side is down 17-18. So right now, Bernerset could put a bag on to take a 20-18 lead. But he's going to go and take a timeout here. So let's get a good peek. On to get 20, hit the airmail to win. So here's the airmail he's dealing with. He's got to hit a 12 o'clock quarter moon and squeeze through those two yellow bags to win the game. Now, here's my favorite. Noah's just chirping him. He's like, he kind of said, lay up, lay up. Now he's like, throw it, throw it. So he's kind of just messing with him. Bernice right. is not I, even it, paying attention. So here he is. Five I would, want, showing I would want him to throw it. I want him to throw it. Definitely. Not, of course. And he hit Noah. that quarter moon. Bam! Gets the win. Gets the five on a 17 to win it. Look at Noah's reaction. <laughs> Noah's reaction right there. Hold on. Let me, uh, uh, I got to show that again. Look at Noah Wooten right here. He's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe I should not have asked for him to shoot it. My bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is incredible. That is absolutely no, it incredible. It was. It was good. Now, I, if I he would have drug the yellow bags and Anthony, would that have been game? No, he still, he, he still had some to play with. He still had to, they okay. could have gotten to 20, but yeah, they, there was some room for error. I got there. it. Okay. That is but just still, still risky. That is ridiculous. All right. So, so now we got, all right, this is, this is mine. This is from the open in Cincinnati and I was watching this and 
I was watching this live. That's the only re- like this wasn't really talked about because it was kind of in the early in the tournament. Like it didn't have a ton on the line. I remember watching this and be like, "What did I just watch?" Okay, so Rawls has got the black two black bags on the right. All right, you saw the start of the round. He's just like, "I'm thinking, okay, you gotta shoot the airmail, right?" And he says, "I'm gonna go for a push." And what magic is that? <laughs> what is wizardry? What did I just watch. Okay, I'm gonna How do that, that again. Bag not go? Well, no, you gotta do it again. They're gonna show the replay. This is not human. This is this is black magic. This is not real. What is that? And Three like, bags, did, one shot with a block in the middle of everything. It's like a And scoop. how did how did he like Anthony? Do you think he was like So he wedged. This is maybe Was this an ignorant this might be an ignorant question. Like he knew that bag was going to stay there? No, I think so you see at the beginning he kind of calls he kind of calls up the middle. I think he was just going to push through it all, but he actually is able to wedge underneath it. That's how you throw a flop bag and instead of flopping over, he actually scooped it and it lifted did both bags over the blocker insane <laughs> That's so crazy. there's nothing that you can tell me to convince me that was done on purpose i don't care that no. was That's magic what i wanted to know <laughs> absolute <laughs> magic but can but can you replicate it i guess is my question all right this is mine i was watching this live as well at the open and we have noah almanza and brandon babilia and we have three of brandon's bags around the hole and who was it Trade that called this shot right before it went. Josh Keck, national yeah. doctor. Keck says he's going to get them all, and he throws Bang. an airmail to drag all three bags. And we asked Noah about this last week. Like, what are you thinking right then when that happens? Like, you had three bags on the board. You're like, all right, this is fine. And then boom, throws an airmail, drags them all in, and just wrecks your day. You don't see this it off. One of those perfect instances, though, where Noah Almanza, like, on his the bag before it. He went in, and I don't know if he meant to go in on purpose, right? But like, let's 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 rewatch it again. Like on this bag by Noah, uh, uh, or no, not that one. On, uh, gotta get back to it. This bag by Noah Almonte, you don't want to be in, right? He like, wanted to block, and I don't know if he meant to do that on purpose, but he would have been so much better off if he had kind of just sat on the front lip of that mm-hmm. hole because then you prevent just that I, I mean, i've only seen that got one it. other time i've only seen it one other time have you guys ever seen it before twice i've never yeah. seen it's it. not often i've never seen it so the one other time uh, here's my trivia question it's been done one time on a broadcast court who is it oh i'm gonna write it down though because these are good wait wait here. duncan clemmer's one was how wasn't three bags was it uh, it wasn't two. four in one shot. He had already had one in or, or got uh, it. It wasn't, okay. it wasn't. So then no, I don't know. One time. Who was it? Who was it? Alan Rockwell. Oh, okay. Oh, that's awesome. There you go. So there's your, there's your trivia question for the day. So that's how, a great uh, trivia question for so many reasons. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Alan Rockwell did it at the 2019 ACL cornhole mania. Did it in senior doubles. A uh, long time. Big time Bob Vonch. Big time. Bob. <laughs> That's so cool. All right. Who wants to go first with their hot take? All right. I'll go. Okay. Go ahead. So, Anthony. Let's hear it. Kind of in the theme of the PPRs, you know, we've been talking about higher or lower. We had one bagger last year with a season ending combined 10 plus PPR. I said we were trending up. I think this year we quadrupled that with four baggers finishing 10 plus combined. That is a, that is a hot take. Well, I got a follow-up question then. 
Where does where is your top ten line then this year? You think? Because you said your top ten line was a nine 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 right? nine. Yep. I so that's a great question. Is it yep. get up to a nine? Uh, well, obviously, if you say quadruple, that means you don't think we get to ten. So Correct. does that mean you think it's more of like a nine nine five? I would say I would say somewhere between yeah, like a nine nine five because it was actually a nine eight five. If we get, I mean, we're really getting down into the decimals. Um, and it makes a big difference. I mean, if you look at the ranks, yeah. you get down that deep. I would say a nine nine five going up six tenths makes sense with with four over ten. I'm calling it crazy. Now, Trey, yours is a, a lukewarm take, I hear. It's yeah, mine's, mine's like boring, <laughs> I guess. Oh, it's um, boring. Okay. And it partly has to go with what we talked about with the opening segment, but I think Alex Hicks is the uh, highest performing U16 player. There are only eight U16 players this season when you go through it. But the part that it does make it kind of a hot take is that it means he has to beat Caleb Batson. Yes. Right? So that's true. true. Maybe it's not like scorching hot, but it's like it's like a lukewarm like kind of take. I mean, but part of the reason because Tice Cobb and Bella Soprenit were two of my tops, and and I just haven't seen it yet this season. So that's why kind of Hicks jumps into that spot naturally for me. That makes sense. All right. Well, mine is that if you listen to Anthony and Cornhole Science, you'll get yourself a first place win within a week. Cause that's what happened to me. Let's go. <laughs> that is I, oh, you know what? I wish I had that. We could pull up a little photo of you in first place. I should have done that. Dang it. That would have been great. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, there's a plug for Anthony and uh, yeah. If you listen to the girls Store two podcast, I actually talk about what Anthony told me to change to do that. So um, that's out there if you want to hear it or just go to Cornhole Science and everything Anthony says is gold. So there you go. That's my hot take. And um, that's it for today. So it's been awesome. And we will see you guys next week. Or actually, we won't have one next week for Thanksgiving, right? So we will not see you next week. We'll see you the week after. Thanks, everyone.